0: church? Oh no, no, no. You guys, I need you this morning. A second good, that good morning, church. Good morning. Oh man, how you guys doing this morning? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. Um, it's been, it's an interesting morning. Uh, you know, my wife is not here today. Uh, she's not feeling too well, uh, but she's watching online. So uh, what's up, wifey? And uh, she's, you know, going to give me some critiques after the sermon here today. Um, But I also worked out with this brother yesterday, and uh, I don't know if you saw me right there, but I was struggling to get up the stairs right now. And it was just one of those workouts where I was sitting there thinking, okay, I can't look weak, but also, God, I'm okay with a more humble body figure at this point, uh, because this is just too much for me. Uh, But it was intense, and so I'm bearing the consequences of uh, lifting more weight than I can. But amen, we're here this morning. We're going to read some scriptures. Uh, If you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you uh, to our family. And uh, I do call us a family because we want to do more than just Sunday together. We want to help each other with life uh, and following Jesus and, and all that comes with that. I do believe that Jesus is the man. I believe he is totally worthy of following and imitating and giving up everything for Um, but maybe you don't believe that, or you're not there yet, or, or you don't have enough knowledge or awareness of who Jesus is to be there, and that's okay. I still believe you're in the right place, and I hope you can learn something about Jesus today that'll help you on your journey. Let's go ahead and say a word of prayer, and we'll start our time here together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the worship and the fellowship. God, thank you for the communion and uh, just the testimony that's shared uh, that that speaks volumes to your power and and your spirit, God. Thank you for uh, just the the fact that we get to be here together, God, that we get to worship uh, in a public manner, that we're not hiding, Uh, God. And there are many uh, brothers and sisters around the world who have church today, and they were hiding, God and they they may have been in fear uh, of extreme persecution and we are lucky to be able uh, to not have to bear with that kind of persecution. God be with us today as we do talk about persecution uh, and, and the blessings that come with it. It's in your Son's name I pray, Amen. We're con- uh, we're continuing our series today in Matthew five. We call this series "What Makes You Happy." And we've been going through each beatitude or, or each characteristic that, according to Jesus, will bring you a true happiness in your life. And these can also be understood as characteristics of those belonging to the kingdom of God, right? Citizens of the kingdom. Last week, I talked about blessed are the peacemakers... For they are called children of God. We talked about how because there are these things that drag us away from God, right, sin, uh, there's a need for God's children to make peace for those who have not found it. That coming to God is not about fixing your life or getting what you want or feeling good about yourself, uh, but it's about getting and settling the chaos that stands between you and God. And peacemakers, children of God, help people along that journey. Uh, Today, we'll be continuing. Please uh, read along with me in Matthew 5, verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever felt ever so slightly deceived by the way in which someone words a statement to you? But you know, you think back and you recall the statement, and you look back, you're like, I can't call them a deceiver because they really didn't lie at the end of it. I just thought, and you filled in the blank. Right, for example, mom and dad walk in the room and and say, get dressed, I got a surprise. Get ready. And so in your mind, you're having this typically normal of a day, and instantly it turns into, ah, I'm going to Disneyland today. And so you get all dressed, you put your your Mickey Mouse shirt on, you get your Disney character autograph book, you put it in your back pocket, you get ready, you get in the car because you're going to Disneyland. And as you're in the car you have this internal debate about should I should I ask mom and dad where I'm going but then you convince yourself that no I'm good because in parental language surprise means Disneyland. And then all of a sudden your shockingly shockingly short journey comes to an end your car stops you get out the car and you're at the dentist. You're at the dentist. And then you play back the whole situation in your head and you're going, well, I am surprised. (laughs) I have no experience with that. But to be honest with you, that's a little bit how I can feel about this passage. Because I think oftentimes we hear blessed are the blank." And then we can take our inaccurate beliefs or our misunderstandings about God, Jesus, and the Bible and assume and expect something that was never true in the first place. Blessed are those who come to church on Sunday, for they will receive the job promotion they've been fighting for. Blessed are those who who decide to give God a try, for the golden brick road shall be laid before them and their life will just work all of a sudden. Blessed are those who eat fried and greasy foods because they will have the body of an angel. I don't really know what that has to do with what I'm talking about today. i just, I'm feeling it today, right? So we can have these predispositions in our understanding of how blessings work. And then when they don't come how we thought they would come, and they don't look how we thought they would look, we look at God and go, this ain't Disneyland what happened, God? But the reality is, is you were waiting for something that was never promised in the first place. And dare I say it, I think we miss blessings from God all the time because we dismiss these characteristics that bring them because we're too busy looking for something else. I got to be real with you guys today. Can I be real for a second? I don't know why I even ask you. I'm going to do it anyways. So In preparing for this sermon, I gotta be real, I was struggling. I was struggling. At one one point this week, I went on a prayer walk, and you know what I told God? I said, God, I gotta tell you something. You know you're in a bad place if you gotta tell God something. Like, you should never, anyway. But that's where I was, and I was like, God, I don't wanna preach this scripture this Sunday. It's too hard, it's not encouraging, And if people are visiting, I'm afraid they're not going to want to come back. (gasps) You talk to God that way? I'm just telling you where I was at in preparing for this sermon. And you know what? It is hard. And maybe someone who's visiting today won't come back. But that doesn't make it any less true. And because I do believe when you know the truth about Jesus... You fall in love with the guy. You'll be amazed with the guy. It'll change your life. But it's not easy and it never will be. But it will be real. And anything in this life that is real is worth it and Jesus is real. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 in the NLT says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution will suffer persecution. And if you're, if you're visiting with us today, I do want you to hear that, that we are in no way, shape or form perfect here, and we're not even trying to be, but we are trying to follow a perfect God. You know, I did find myself asking this question, why persecution? Why persecution? I ask this because I look at the characteristics in Matthew 5, right, poor in spirit, meek, peacemakers. I, I go through these beatitudes and I think to myself, why in the world would I have to be prepared to be persecuted if I'm going to live that way? Like when's the last time you heard, darn your poor spirit, I oppose your meekness. Your, your peacemaking is just Whack. So why does one who lives a life defined by these characteristics that Jesus taught brings a true happiness, a supreme blessedness, why must they be ready for persecution? Turn your Bibles with me to Act. I mean uh, Mark chapter eight. And uh, I want to use this as kind of a focal point, a studying point of what we're going to talk about today. And so much can be understood from just this one verse, and that's what's crazy about the Bible, is you could really just spend an entire month on one verse and get so much out of it. But, but this verse in particular, I feel like, drives Jesus' point home. Mark chapter eight, verse 34. It says, "Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves." And take up their cross and follow me. I want you to picture this, this situation for a second. You have to take note that a crowd came along with him and his disciples, which meant that that the message he was about to convey, he not only wanted his guys to hear it, but he spoke in a manner that everybody else who crowded around him could hear it. Right, so, so in other words, like we, we do this as people, right? You're talking to someone directly, but you really want someone else to hear what you're saying, right? Like you asked me how my wife's doing. My wife's doing amazing. She's beautiful. I, I don't deserve to be married to her. And I'm not just saying that because she's watching on live stream right now, although I do want her to hear that, right? That's what Jesus was, was doing in this situation. He was speaking to his disciples, but in a manner that everyone else who was surrounding him could hear. He starts off by saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, right? This open invitation that he paints with conditions. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, I want to focus on one of those conditions here for a bit. This phrase, follow me. You can find it various times coming from Jesus in, in several situations, right? If you look here in Mark 2, verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, uh, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I read this situation here and I think to myself, that's it? Jesus just decides to go on a walk and tell someone to follow him and they do? Two words. And it's not just here, but but there's other situations where Jesus just says, "Follow me," with two words, and they do it. It's pretty incredible, right? Our parents wish they had that power. Be quiet, right? And just, you know, like just two words, it's like a superpower. Like Sylvie, you know, and, and it's just wild to me because he follow me and they do it. You know, I, I, Sylvie and I were at a country concert a couple weeks ago, and we were yeah, listen to country. Just keep it real with y'all. So, um, we we're walking around, and there's all these vendors trying to sell stuff. And you know, I, I'm like the awkward guy, like don't make eye contact with anybody because then they got you. You know, and and this guy just 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 stands right up in front of us and says, "Sir, I'm sorry, but it's mandated by my company that we give the best looking couples something free." It's like, well, I'll take something from someone telling the truth. So let's go see what you got, man. Like, <laughs> he tried to sell me something, didn't work out for him. So I wonder if Jesus was handing out some sort of incentive, like, like fish or tablets or, or something like that, because all he said was, follow me. Follow me. Does that really work for people to, to get up? leave their careers someone left their dad in a boat i mean they left tables full of money they rearranged their in- entire lives off these two words follow me you know i looked up the greek translation for that phrase follow me and this is what you get i'm trying to say it i've been practicing it all week and i don't think i'm gonna be able to say it but ok that did all right i mean you guys don't know greek so you don't know if i'm wrong but akolatheo unless you do Right? This word means uh, uh, to immerse, to completely imitate, to replicate, replication. Right? The best way we can understand this phrase that Jesus was using in Greek was by, by this, to enlist, to enlist in something. Right? We all know what this means. Right? You, you see the, the military recruiters on, on college campuses or at the mall and, and, and there's a calling, hey, enlist in the U.S. military today. And if someone called you to enlist in the military, you'd know exactly what that meant. It would mean you'd have to completely drop your way of life and completely submit to this new service. Right? You wouldn't enlist in the military. Right? You sign up, you show up for training or boot camp or whatever. You would not dare to go up to your sergeant or, or, or whoever it may be and go, you know, hey, I got this, this timeshare back at home that I got to get to. So, can we, you know, I got other priorities. I got my job, my career. No, no, no. To enlist, you completely surrendered and submitted to the service of the military. We all understand that. We get that. We might not know all the ins and outs, but for the most part, you know, when someone goes into the military, the forces, Everything they completely rearrange their way of life, and so for these guys, when Jesus said, Follow me, Akathaleo, enlist in my service, they knew exactly what that meant. It was a call to completely rearrange their life to join the service of Jesus. All right, then pegs the question, Well, what does it mean to? Take our cross daily. What does it mean to carry our cross daily? You know, I've heard this phrase or this teaching understood as putting your sins on the cross because Jesus went to the cross for our sins and so we need to put our sins to the cross and kill him and put them away with. But that can't be what Jesus means here because Jesus said this before he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. So Jesus could not have been referring to putting to death our sins because he hadn't done that yet. And so the people he was talking to in Mark wouldn't have known what he was talking about if he said that, if that's what he meant. They wouldn't have depicted that message. So what did they depict when Jesus said, carry your cross daily and follow me? You know, there's historical accounts that record a revolution that occurred in the same region and time that Jesus grew up and traveled around in his life. Right? This revolution involved young Jewish men revolting against the Roman government, and they almost won. But long story short, Rome sends in some reinforcements and completely shuts down these revolutionaries. But they don't kill all of the revolutionaries. They end up taking several thousand as prisoners so that they can publicly execute them and send a message of power and dominance in their chosen execution device, the cross. Right? It's believed that the cross was commonly used by Romans, not only the high-standing cross that we see Jesus put on, but also a low-standing one that oftentimes met people eye to eye, And what they would do is they would crucify people all over the town and all over the city. And it was a constant reminder of the fate one deserved for revolting against the Roman government. And so they weren't looking up at the cross. They were walking into the city, walking to work, walking back home. And there was crosses, men who had revolted against the Roman government, crucified at their eye level. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he was saying, my teaching, what I stand for, the things I'm going to call you to live by, completely contradict the rest of the world. So if you want to follow me, you'll be a revolutionary seeking to change the world. So why were these men and women persecuted in the Bible? because they followed Jesus. There was an akathaleo, there was this complete immersion in the life of Jesus, and they sought to be revolutionaries that would change the world, which went completely against what everybody else believed in the current time. It reminds me of Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shikrep." Shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked You know, Paul, he akothaleo Jesus. He was completely immersed in the service to Christ, and he was trying to change the world by teaching about him. And that is what came of his life, because it went completely against what the rest of the world was teaching and valuing. Well, what does this mean for us? Men and women, searching to truly follow Jesus... This completely contradicts any idea that one could follow Christ to simply attain good morals and create a family of good values. Or it contradicts the idea that to follow Christ should just lead to a good and peaceful and perfect life. It contradicts the idea that to be blessed as a Christian, one just needs to mark all the good things as blessings and all the bad things as just a, a simple rough trial. Now you see the calling of Jesus that Jesus put out is the same now as it was then, that whoever wants to be his follower must akathaleo, must enlist in his service, completely rearrange your life. What does that mean? Do we all have to be monks? People ask me that all the time in a Bible study. Do I have to just walk around in a robe and sandals? I heard this quote that said, the pitfall of Christians is they attempt to morph Jesus to fit their life rather than morph morph their lives to fit Jesus. See, to enlist in his service is to take your life and go, how is this now going to be completely lived in the name of Jesus? My job, my family, my future, my relationships, my ambition. If Jesus were living my life, how would he live it? And whoever wants to be his follower must carry their cross daily. It's a call to be a revolutionary in how you live your life. To be different than what the rest of the world is doing. The way you live, the way you speak, and the things you value will directly mirror Christ. But will oppose most of the world. So why will those of us who follow Jesus be persecuted? Because if, if you truly, akathaleo, if you truly have enlisted and you, you meant what you said when you said Jesus is Lord, people will not understand. People will not understand why you dismiss your power and rely on God's. They'll think you're weak. Your family might understand why, you're, why being connected by blood isn't as important as being connected by the Spirit. They'll ridicule you. Coworkers, they'll not understand why you don't lie, cheat, or cut corners because you value integrity. They'll mock you. Classmates and students will cast weird looks on you when you bring up Jesus changing your life. They'll, they'll ostracize you. You'll be in a direct revolution against the way people around you are living, and some will join but there will be those that persecute. And to that, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and and say all false kinds of things. You know what they said about the first century Christians? They accused them of cannibalism because they believed in taking communion right? They, they, they believed they were, they were just stubborn and, and rebels and were out to put harm on the world and accuse all sorts of things of people that all they wanted to do was please Jesus. The world will not understand. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. So what are the blessings of persecution? You know, I don't really correlate blessing and persecution, It just naturally does not happen. Uh, And and quite honest, I struggle with the concept. It's scary. It, It invokes fear, but like I said earlier, if we're looking for blessings in a way that God never promised them, we're gonna live a life completely absent of the blessings God intended you to be full of. And so to close out our time here today, I wanna share with you a blessing that I think comes from being persecuted for Jesus. Persecution reveals your true motives for being a Christian. Persecution reveals your true motives for being a Christian. If, you're, if your motivation, if Jesus isn't really your motive for being a Christian, it's pretty telling when you get persecuted. When Jesus isn't your motivation for being a Christian, you might receive direct persecution or maybe it's subtle persecution. But what happens if he isn't your motivation, it's so easy to develop a, "Uh, it just isn't worth it mentality. For example, you ever get hyped about working out and getting in shape? It's such an amazing thought. (laughs) And leave it at that. Right, so you gear up. You get new shoes, you get workout clothes, you get a gym membership, and get pumped to go. You get to the gym and you're still inspired walking into the gym. The equipment is all shiny, right? There's a few people that just look perfect on the machines. You're like, wow, that's how I look. Then you start working out for a little bit. And at first, your self-righteousness kind of kicks into gear. I'm, I'm actually doing better than I thought I was doing. But then something happens. It gets challenging. It gets challenging and you didn't expect it, but it's there and it's real. And unfortunately, most people's attitude when it gets challenging with working out is, eh, it just isn't worth it, right? My whole humble, you know, body type figure, like it just isn't worth it. You know the fitness industry makes more money on people that don't work out simply because of the idea sounds better than the actual challenge that's involved. I think this is the same concept when people's motivation to be a Christian is not Jesus. It's an amazing thought in the beginning. The idea and the the perceived concept is amazing beyond compare, a community. Messages about hope and love and, and, and healing and peace. Wow, you don't get that on Facebook. I think I'll go to church, but then something happens. Your boss gets a little harder on you or cuts your hours because you're going to too many church things, or your family thinks you're crazy for for completely rearranging your life, or your fellow students and classmates look down on you because you just don't have as much fun as everybody else is having. It's those people I say, do you really know Jesus? And not in a condescending way. I'm not trying to belittle you because I believe if you really knew Jesus, that heart would not come about. But those who do face persecution and do stand firm, not wavering because of people or family or circumstance or coworkers, I believe they receive clarity as to why they're doing it in the first place. They're reminded of the life of Jesus, his love and his sacrifice and his hope in a new life. Those who face persecution are reminded of his inseparable love that Paul writes about in Romans eight thirty one. It's powerful scripture. What then shall we say in response to these things? Persecution. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who are persecuted and and they cling to the hope of heaven where where there'll be no more stress, no more anxiety, no more bills, amen? Amen. (laughs) Taxes, no. No more sin. Those who are persecuted in the name of righteousness and Jesus have heaven to look forward to. To face persecution is to be made more and more into the image of Christ. And we're reminded of his sacrifice and we're fueled by his love. You know, Christians, man, they went through it in the first century. In fact, the term Christian was just to kind of put them in this place of belittlement, to to subject them to to mockery and disgrace. But nowadays, Christianity has become a place of comfort and go there if you want to feel good and, and have a perfect life and create a nice little family. But Jesus doesn't promise any of that. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for they will inherit the kingdom Of heaven, As you sit here today, what is your motivation? Because if it's not Christ, then persecution will stop you dead in your tracks. And you'll wonder, God, why isn't this Christianity thing working? I'm doing everything you said. Well, the reason it's not working is because this world does not serve God. So if you're trying to live for God, then it's just not going to work in this life. But that doesn't mean God won't bless you. Because I believe when we're reminded of what we're doing this for, it lights a fire that you don't know where it came from. We can't even understand it completely. The Holy Spirit fuels you and you live life a completely different person with hope, with love, and with motivation. So here's what I wanna leave you with today. Does your life reflect someone who has enlisted in the service of Jesus? And is your living a direct revolution against how the rest of the world lives? If not, are you ready to enlist? Are you ready to completely rearrange your life, to take your life and go, how am I going to use this? How is Jesus going to live this life? If you're visiting with us today, oh, snap, it just got real. But I want you to know the real Jesus. And I hope you desire the same, and I hope you get plugged in to learn more about this Jesus by studying the Bible. A truly blessed life is is a life that is enlisted in the service of Christ, and is a revolutionary sought out to change the world, and most likely, for a fact, will face persecution for it. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the IE Church of Christ podcast. If you would like to connect, you can follow us at iechurch.com or look up IE Church Riverside on Facebook for more information.